Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For SEN America, this is the SEN NBA podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition, the second one of 2017 of the SEN NBA podcast. As always, I am your host, Luke Sakari, and I've got a very special guest joining me today. Olgan Ulich from Fox Sports Australia is on the line with me. Olgan, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Luke. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Always appreciate your time. Before we get in, stuck into the discussion very quickly, I want to do a quick shout-out to Chris Tyler, my co-host, who this morning sent me pictures... He's currently in Atlanta, in at NBA Studios at NBA TV, sending me a picture of him sitting at the TNT studio desk. He was shooting hoops at the NBA TV studio. I'm sure anyone who's watched NBA TV sees the, the hoop in the background. He was there having shots. I mean, he was at the, watching the starters record their show. Super jealous of him while we're here. Um, well, I'm here anyway. You're up in Sydney. I'm here in, in Melbourne down here at SEN Towers in Richmond. Well, he's up there in Atlanta with the big guns. So I just wanted to get that out there real quick. Um, pretty jealous. Pretty jealous. Have you ever been to NBA TV studios, Olgan? I know you've been to America quite a bit. Have you ever been down there to Atlanta? I've been to Atlanta. I didn't go into the NBA TV studios. I visited CNN and right. I visited that whole Olympic park that it's around. I didn't get to the NBA TV studio, but... I've been speaking to Chris back and forth while he's over there, um, and I'm just jealous of his trip because I'm not doing a, a February trip or January-February trip to the U.S., and he's oh. just telling me everywhere he's going, and so I'm just, I'm just jealous of him, and he knows it. <laughs> so you're not, you usually do an all-star trip, don't you? Do you? So you're I not do- doing, yeah, I do an all-star trip, and then I, I usually do an NBA draft summer league combined trip, but yeah. this year I, it's difficult. There's so much going on back at work, and so I figured I'm going to give this one a miss and just extend my mid-year trip. Yeah. Uh, I should be sweet. Yeah, very nice. So you mentioned that, is, is it like a, a precinct down there in Atlanta? You said it surrounds an Olympic type of park. Is that a whole precinct of TV studios, or is it like a sporting complex down there? So from what I know, it's so there is an Olympic park, which has an aquarium. It's got a, a Coca-Cola museum. It's oh, really? A, I think it's got a zoo. It's got a whole lot going on there. And then just like 50 meters uh, down the road, you've got the CNN studio, which yep. is right next to uh, where the Atlanta Hawks play, um, yeah, which is, right. I, I believe that's where, um, oh, what's it, it's Turner. Turner um, Sports, yeah. yep, Turner. I believe that's where that is. And so everything goes on in there. And so I'm assuming that's where Chris is right now, just shooting some hoops. <laughs> just shooting some hoops, shooting some hoops with the big names down there. Um, <laughs> so there's been some big, it's been, a, as always, it's always a big week in NBA basketball, but this week was probably one of the most strangest weeks of the season because this Derrick Rose saga, I guess we can call it, has just been, it's been really weird. I mean, for those who've missed it, just like in a nutshell, um, Derrick Rose went missing. Like he flat out went missing <laughs> for, for a Knicks game on um, earlier in the week. It, they didn't know where he was. And then it came out the next day, he went actually flew back to Chicago without notifying the team for a family matter. 
it's just so it's and then the next day he was back at, at the practice facility training with the team I don't it's so hard to get like just a grasp on this what are your thoughts on it Olga and the whole situation is just it's so strange it was a little bit shocking because you know when it first happened everyone was you know quite rightly a bit almost frightened but thinking yeah. what, what's happened we're concerned um and then you know it started to come out we heard Joakim Noah say that he spoke with Derek Rose and that he's okay but when you know I saw the that little media uh kind of bit that Joakim did and he seemed really frightened as well. He looked like quite ghostly. Mm. Um, and so I'm thinking, what's what's happened? And, you know, the fact, the, the thing that shocked me is that this all happened and it's been, tre- he's, it's like Derek Rose has treated this so nonchalantly. Like he just, he just left, didn't tell anyone, came back. And it's almost as though they're acting as though nothing happened. Yeah. Which is the, the, the oddest thing in the world because I was telling my, my colleague that, you know, if I, if I had a family member who was ill and I had to leave, I would text somebody. Oh, you'd have to let someone know, especially someone, I mean, if, if the family always comes first and obviously circumstances are surrounding that. But if you're an NBA basketball player, you're on the road, you know, it's someone like Derek Rose, he's, he's a national um, figure in America. If you're just going so abruptly, just even if you just send your manager a text, say, hey, BJ Armstrong, I'm going back to Chicago. I don't want to speak to anyone, so just tell them that I'm gone. That's all you have to do, right? It was literally send a 20-second text message. Well, that's, that's the thing. I told my editor, I said, look, if, I, if I'm a journalist and if I have a, you know, a situation that, that arises and I have to leave the country or the state to go visit a family member who's ill, on the way to the airport or, or just something, I, I'm going to tell you. And I'm a yeah. journalist who, you know, people, don't, people haven't bought tickets to see me or, or anything <laughs> like that. And people, people aren't caring at, at my work. People aren't necessarily, you know, at my beck and call for my well-being. And so... I just, I just thought it was odd, and you know, obviously, we hope everything's all right with Derek Rose and his family and all that stuff. Um, but it just, it just seems, it just seems quite odd, and it's almost like he's just brushed it off. Yeah, just quite confusing. And it's kind of almost a culmination of a really weird season and a half for Rondo in New York. I mean, he's a guy that obviously, when he, when he came, when he got traded to the Knicks um, in the off season, he said, you know, it's our super team and all that type of thing. And you know, he's, he's been, we've seen glimpses. of, glimpses of him this year on the court where you're like hey you know this is like the guy that won the MVP in 2011 but on the whole I mean the lot he's been benched for fourth quarters he's been publicly upset with Jeff Hornacek Jeff Hornacek the head coach and now this like obviously it's a family matter and you don't want that happen to anyone but it does seem a little like a little bit of a coincidence that it's kind of happened after all the on-court stuff went off and they're having off-court dramas I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm not like linking them with any way because obviously it's a family matter. And no one's disregarding that, but it does seem a little like I don't know, a little stinky. Would you say it seems a little bit? This is happening when everything when the Knicks are losing games. It, you know, I don't know. It just seems so. This I feel like there's something else. I mean, again, I'm not disregarding the family matter. That's hundred percent most likely true, and we hope for the best. But I don't know. It, it seems like there's something else. Yeah, it's, you know, looking at it from the outside, it just looked like everything had snowballed yeah. to the point and, you know, this really, uh, probably a, a grave situation came up and it's just everything that had been piling on him over, you know, the past few years, every injury he's had, all of the ridicule and, and criticism he's had from the public and from the media and um, just from, you know, front offices, just, just from everywhere, Um and then you think about that Milwaukee game getting benched yeah. in the fourth quarter for Ron Baker. It just it all just 
added up. And I think this was the last straw that he said, you know what, that's it. And he just left. And then obviously there were reports that came out and said that he thought about, you know, taking a break from basketball yeah. for a little bit, which I thought is quite, that's quite severe. But, you know, I, I feel like that's all it was. Everything just kind of added up on him. He just had so much on his shoulders and he just kind of exploded in, you know, the way Derrick Rose does and not kind of exploding from like a, and not, not outwards, but just kind of inwards, you know, just not telling anyone, not saying anything. Yeah. Um, it's really you you do like on a, on just like a personal basis you really do but you mentioned it there how um you know this was one of those things where he just he just disappeared and it's really weird with me because obviously that report came out where um he said he was thinking about just leaving basketball it was I'm not sure if it was the next day or the day prior or even on that same day there was another report saying that he's looking for a max contract it was the next day it was the next day right like uh, it makes no sense so like one day he's thinking about quitting basketball and then he wants the max contract which I mean we all know how the Knicks operate they don't operate like a, a normal NBA franchise but I don't think they would I mean would they offer him a max like you couldn't could you like you couldn't offer him a max contract I don't think the Knicks would I get that there is some marketability to Derrick Rose. His shoes are extremely popular, that kind of thing. I don't think the Knicks do it. Is someone going to offer him a max contract? I think someone will. Really? There's definitely a a team out there that's going to do it. The the way the salary cap is and the way teams are in trying to get that point guard, he hasn't been too bad. He hasn't been a max player, but he hasn't been too bad. And just with the way these teams are willing to throw around money, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few teams um, not, I don't think the Knicks, but there'll be somewhere, someone out there will give him that money. I, I honestly don't expect someone to, and but I, if it is someone, I would expect it to be the Knicks, just because like it's the Knicks, and it'll just be another dumb decision on top of <laughs> dumb decisions, and just further limiting the ceiling and potential of Chris Haps Paul Zingas. Because personally, I still don't like that fit at all with Rose there and Malone. Yeah. Because if I'm the Knicks, right, all I care about is Paul Zingas. That is it. That is the only, the only asset only, I care about in that franchise if I'm the New York Knicks. 100%. He's, is, as far as this trade period that's coming up right now, Kristaps is the only player on that team, in my opinion, that's untouchable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a matter of what, what you do with Carmelo. I mean, he, obviously he's got his no trade clause, but he, he, I mean, I, I still like Melo. A lot of people, I feel like, um, they, they reckon Carmelo's not as good as he once was. Obviously, he's not the 28 points per game scorer that he was in Denver. But I still think he's really, really, really valuable. It's just a matter of him next to Paul Zingas. That, that, does that mesh together? I mean, because I, I love Paul Zingas. I mean, the guy is just unreal. We've all seen that this season. I still feel like he needs the ball more down the stretch. Granted, his clutch shooting numbers haven't been great. You know, he hasn't really performed in those clutch moments. But if you're a young guy, the only way you're going to get better at that is just by keep, it's, it's just, you got to keep doing it. You know, you can't yeah. just take the ball out of his hands because, A, that hurts his confidence and, and it, all the other stuff after that. But, I mean, Mallow's already a ball-dominant player. We know Rose is. And Brandon Jennings is as well. He's coming off the bench. And then you've got Paul Zingas. I mean, Paul Zingas just has to get more. He has to get more touches. I mean, I, I've said it so many times this season. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but... If you're New York, you just got to develop him. Like that's what you have to do, right? Because Rose and Mallow are past their prime. Um, Noah's been horrible. We well, you know that, and they're like, they've got locked him up for like four years for like a billion dollars. But if you're, I, I don't know, New York, it's just 
It had to be the Knicks. Like, even when they were winning earlier in the season, you kind of knew. You're like, this isn't going to last. Yeah. Like, so- something's going to happen, right? But they can't just do it normally. It has to be some type of drama in New York where everything uh, just falls apart at one time and there's just so many side stories to it. And then, then add on the whole Phil Jackson... Oh, my gosh. ...kind of uh, <laughs> separation. Yeah. It's just, it's just one thing after another. But, I, look, I'm with you. I like Carmelo a lot. I, yeah. think he's, I think he's a really solid player. I just think that he should kind of take a step back as far as his role. I like the idea of seeing him as kind of like Olympic mellow um, yeah. at the Knicks where he's just, he has his role. He knows he's, he's a spot-up shooter. Um, he, he scores when you need him to. But I don't like him being the go-to guy. I want that to be Kristaps because, you know, Kristaps has the, the highest ceiling probably among anyone in the entire league. And so, you know, if you're not going to build on him, then what are you doing? What, what, is, what is your goal as a franchise? But yeah. no, Melo, Melo in, in New York, even from an off-court perspective, just as far as his social activism goes, I just think New York, that, that market, is just the perfect place for him to be. Um, I just think Derek Rose, Derek Rose takes away from what we want Chris Dupps to be. Yeah. Um, I don't mind Joe Kim. I just don't think he's uh, worth how much he's getting. Yeah, 72 million, I think, just off my head. Yeah, 72. I just wanted to get back quickly on Rose. You mentioned his markability before. Do you reckon marketing Derrick Rose is less effective when he's not playing in Chicago, which was his hometown, obviously? Like, does it still well, have that definitely, pool? Definitely. Yeah. Well, because well, because New York, New York and Chicago are quite similar, but selling selling the guy as the hometown kid, and you know, Chicago has this kind of you know, I lived there for a bit, and it's got this kind of grunge feeling. It has the, this kind of it has this sensory feeling of you know, this is like the home of of, of basketball and. Yeah. And street basketball is like the heart of it. Um, and that's something that New York has in a different way. But if you're not from there, if you're not from Brooklyn or Queens or, or one of these kind of marquee suburbs, then it, it really doesn't have the same effect. It does, does it have some effect? Yeah, it does. Um, but nowhere near the same. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it there. You lived in Chicago a little bit. I feel like D. Rose has always had, like, when he was in Chicago, right, he could be playing bad, he had his injury problems, like, and all that. But they still loved him because he was that hometown kid. I just wanted yeah. to get your, you were there. I mean, I'm not sure. Were you there when he won the MVP? I'm not too sure on this. Were you? No, no. I went there a year or two after that. Okay. So it was probably just as he started getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, but I, I was there during during a period where he was there and the crowd loved him. Yeah. As, as not great as he played, he, he, he when I was there, he didn't necessarily stand out. I was there when Jimmy Butler started to yeah. emerge as the, the, basically the superstar of that team. They still loved Derek Rose. He was every introduction. He got the biggest cheer. It was always about Derek. Yeah. See, I feel like he hasn't got that that that, that protection in New York of like that these fans will still love me because we know how the Knicks fans are. Like it, yeah. they boo. They've probably booed Mallow. I'd assume. I think they no. They have booed Mallow this season. I remember there was one game I was in, watching in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, when he went to his ISO set, they were booing him. And like Mallow's went to be that guy, right? Where they just love him because he does so much yeah. in New York. Rose hasn't got that protection. And you wonder, you know, this is his first professional season out of Chicago. He hasn't. I mean, we spoke about it before. He flew back to Chicago for a family matter. Maybe he's just one of these guys that really needs that. That little house around him, that that hometown protection. I don't know. Yeah, he's an interesting. Is, in, yeah, in, in Chicago, he, he it was almost like the crowd had like unconditional love for him. Yeah, just because he was from there. And the thing is, he hasn't. You know, he left for a year for college, but he hasn't really left that city. Yeah. Um. And so this is the first time he's left, and you know, to leave 
the place where you've been your entire life and to go to New York City, yeah. which is just <laughs> massive when it, from, you know, both geographically and just from a marketing standpoint, that's just a big shift. I feel like his mind hasn't caught up to it yet. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on. So that, that's one point that that's in a bit of uncharted waters. Another one is our own Dante Exum. I mean, we'll say our own as in Australia's Dante Exum. <laughs> this has been a, this has been an intriguing storyline all year. You know, start of the season when George Hill got hurt, Dante saw an upswing in minutes, played thirty five minutes in one game, then George Hill came back, then all of a sudden Shelvin Mack was ahead of Dante, and then he wasn't playing. Then George Hill got hurt again, and Dante's minutes went up again. Then Dante hurt his knee. He was out of the rotation. Now he's been getting um, DMP CDs. He spent like half an hour in the D League to train with Dante. <laughs> like this is, I know you're following it probably closer than anyone. What are your just general thoughts before we get really get stuck into discussion on this whole situation of Dante this season and his his playing time? Well, the first thing is I really hope that him and Quinn Snyder have been speaking about what's happening because yeah. if they haven't and Quinn Snyder's just been throwing these curveballs at him, that would be kind of unfair for a 21-year-old who's basically, what, in his second year in the league. Um, yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing is I just, from a, just looking at it from a basketball perspective, I just don't get it. You know, it's not like... So when George Hill has been injured, Dante hasn't just been getting the minutes. He's been starting. Yeah, he has been, um, yeah. Obviously, George Hill's been injured for you know, quite a lot of this season, but Dante's been starting, and then when George Hill comes back, Dante goes back to the third string yeah. point guard, which confuses me because it's not like uh, Shelvin Mack is a Jamal Crawford kind of guy mm-hmm. where he is your bench or he's your bench guy. Shelvin Mack is just a point guard. Yeah. And so it's not, it, it makes no sense to me because it's not, it's not like you're trying to keep that second unit intact with Shelvin Mack as the, the god of that second unit. And, and so really, I'd, I'd like to speak with Quinn Snyder and just find out what's going on and just... I understand tempering the expectations of, of Dante and maybe giving him the minutes he deserves because I don't think he deserves 35 minutes, but I just think con- some consistency would probably be good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because, like, the dude's 21, you know, like, and let's not forget, yeah. this isn't a guy that came at, came out of college or played. He, he, he was nicknamed the man of mystery, international man of mystery out of the draft for good reason. Because people, lich, I, this was one of my biggest concerns on, on Exum coming out of the draft. It was just like, who's he played against? Like, what? Yeah. who has he proved himself against? Obviously, the, the talent was there. We just saw that just from seeing him play. But the competition, like, I didn't, I'm like, this guy's going to take a while to develop. Because obviously, he got drafted when he was, what, 18, 19 years old. Didn't play in the co- collegiate system. You know, he, he was skinny as, as anything. He was raw. You know, he was a pick five, which automatically puts the expectations up, which I I hate that idea of, I mean, obviously, it's I know why it's there. I hate the idea of players just get their expectations as like, okay, you'll pick one, you'll pick two, you'll pick three, because every yeah. player has different circumstances. Like, you know, if you can look at Four Maker, for example, he was pick 10. He was a lottery pick, but this is a guy, it's a long-term project. It's not, he's yeah. not going to come in and play like a top 10 pick. Dante Exum was never going to come in and play like a top five pick. But I don't know. I, it's his, I know he, he had that year of the ACL injury, and no one can really grade how big of an impact that made until down the line where we really have a real good portfolio of his NBA career. But I, if I'm Utah, I would have liked to see a little bit more progression at this stage, just a bit, because he still can't shoot, and that's obviously a massive concern. Because like, yep. if you can't shoot and you're a point guard, it's, it's going to be a struggle, especially for Dante, who hasn't really got 
that confidence yet to really just take over games when the ball's in his hands. You'll see him attack the basket. His finishing at the rim is still a bit, you know, up and down. Um, he, in the pick and roll, is okay at finding his team. He's got a pretty good read on the game when he's got the ball, but yeah. it's just obviously not as advanced as another starting level point guard. So, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on his development and progression because to me, I've seen little, little bits. I'm like, hey, if he can do that consistently, that's great. But but on the whole, it's just like, I, I wanted to see a bit more at this stage. But again, that ACL injury, who knows how much years that took off his development. Yeah, so the way Dante looks now, he looks quite similar to his rookie year, yeah. um, which is quite reasonable considering he had that ACL injury. Um, but in his rookie year, he, again, like you said, he hadn't come out of college or the, the, the most, the, the best players he would have played would have been at a FIBA under 17 mm-hmm. tournament in 2012, I believe, where he went up against some of kind of the world's best players. Um, and he, he did extremely well in that tournament, but that's not, you know, that's six or seven games. You know, beyond that, he was, I remember the last time I saw him, he was the first person I ever covered. It was at the Australian schools championship yeah. where he played against schools like Williton and um, (laughs) Box Hill and and like the Scots College of Sydney and things like that. And they're not terrible. They're not bad schools. No, but but, you know, for a potential draftee, that's not kind of the barometer of of, of the opponent that you want to see him play against. Um, And so, yeah, look, I think like you said, like you said, the calling him a number, the number five overall pick is just another little burden that's on his shoulders. It's you know that's really difficult to brush off, um, but I think look down the line I think he can get there, um, and the shooting is the real issue. That's one of the reasons why sometimes he just can't be on the floor. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I, I I think he will get there. Uh, is he going to be the player that everyone expected? Is he going to reach that extremely high ceiling that uh, you know we all envision for a six six point guard from Australia? I I don't I don't think so. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I, I doubt he'll ever be kind of that superstar or, or even a star guy. But I think he can start in the league. And I think he's shown glimpses of what he can do um, to be a legitimate starter. Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a question that I have with, with Exum at the moment is, like, who who is he? What is his identity as a player? Is he a guy that's going to come out and just attack the basket with reckless abandon and get to the foul line 10 times? Is he going to be a defensive stopper? He's obviously not going to be a knockdown shooter. Like that's the one thing for me is right now when I watch Exum, I'm like, what should I be looking for? Like, how do I grade his his impact on the game? You know, does, if he makes a defensive stop, but then doesn't do anything on offense, but keeps making those defensive stops, is that a good thing, or do they want it on both sides? Like, that's the one thing with me. It's just like, what is he yet? I don't know. Yeah. That's because he's 21. Like he's he's super young. But we've seen younger players where you already automatically know who they are. And what they're going to do, Dante isn't there yet. And that's the, I mean, it's not, you'd rather him be there, but it's not like a disastrous thing for his career. Because like I said a billion times, he's 21. Like he's so, so young. But that's the one thing for me. It's just like, who is he? I don't know who he is yet. Yeah. And I I, I want, I'd like to know that as well. And I hope that he has an idea of, you know, who he wants to be. Because right now it's almost as though, you know, when he, if Shelvin Mack wasn't there and he, when Shelvin Mack's not there or when George Hill's not there, it's almost as though he's just going on, just to give his fellow point guard a rest. Yeah. And he's just on just to kind of keep it going, but not really do anything. Um, but I like the idea of him turning into a George Hill kind of 
producer. So he's obviously not the same player as George Hill. He's not as good a shooter or scorer as George Hill. But I like the idea of him turning into someone who can produce as well as George Hill did. You know, George Hill was never a star on a team, but he has the ability to produce potentially for a championship team. Yeah. You know, as in just a, a really solid, just really solid production from him. And that's, that's kind of what I, I hope he turns into because I, I feel like that's, that's kind of where he's going. I just I think if his jump shot gets there, you know, I don't think he's a Rondo kind of rebounder. I hope not. Right now. <laughs> I hope he's not a Rondo. <laughs> no. But yeah, I, I think he can I think he can kind of step up his level and if he knows what he wants to be and and works together, he can produce in the league. I think he can start. Yeah, I think the one thing for me, I don't know how much more we're going to see of him this season as Utah are making this playoff run. I mean, as as of recording they're 24-16, they're fifth in the West. They they could probably catch the Clippers for for a home court advantage. Like I wouldn't be surprised. They're not yeah. going to catch Golden State, the, the Rockets, or the Spurs. The Clip, yeah. they, they can definitely catch the Clippers. And so if you look, Utah are in this weird situation where it's almost a win. It's half a win now, half future. Like because you see yeah. these guys like Joe Johnson and George Hill, they're the win now guys. But then you got your Rudy Gobert, your Gordon Haywoods, Derek Favors, Alec Burks, Rodney Hood. They're all future guys. So it's this weird situation they're in. So if you're Dante in right now, I look at it. When he's on the court, they're getting outscored by 3.1 points per 100 possessions. When he's off the court, they're outscoring teams by 8.4 points per 100 possessions. That, that's a massive, massive di- uh, difference. Yeah. And if you're a team that wants to win, they obviously want to, like, they're going to make the playoffs. And they've probably got, I don't know if they're going to, I actually don't have the standings right in front of me, so I'm not sure how far behind they are of the Clippers, but. I can definitely see him catching him. So if I'm Exum, I don't know how many, how more he, much more he's going to play as we hit the stretch one stretch run. So in that situation, I mean, we mentioned that he went to the D League to get some training time into him. Would you want to see a quick little two three game D League stint? Will that help, or will that just be a negative for his mindset? Saying okay, like now I'm back here. I'm almost well, back here, like a square I, one. I fully expected that recent D-League stint when they were down there for that short amount of time. I fully expected him to play the next two games for the um, for the Salt Lake City yeah. Stars. Yeah. Um, I think they had the back-to-back, and I, I just thought that would have just made a lot of sense to... Well, Burks to and Real Neto played, didn't they? If I'm not... And they did, and they played quite well. Real Neto yeah. had, I think, a near triple-double, and yeah. Alex Burks played quite well, and I thought, you know, that would have kind of been perfect for Dante, but then that gives me the, the impression that Quinn Snyder sees Dante as someone who is a legitimate player on his Jazz team. Yeah. Um, so there are two ways to look at that. And then with the Jazz, right now I think they're the fifth seed. And it's it's almost as though they're trying to convince themselves right now that they are a championship team. Mm-hmm. And we all know that they're not. We know that they're a playoff team. And you know whether they can even get past the first round, we don't know. But they see themselves as a playoff team. And they it's almost right now they're trying to convince themselves that, okay, we have to be a team that contends for a championship. Otherwise, we're going nowhere. Um, and so that's what you said. You know, they're kind of between... The, they're trying to tread that fine line between being a contender and being a team that's still trying to build. Um, but I think down the stretch, I don't think Dante gets big minutes, but I think he still does get minutes because yeah. I don't think Shelvin Mack has really locked in that backup point guard spot. He has. It's not like he's been playing, you know, overwhelmingly, you know, tremendously. He's, he's been okay. And so I still think that's up for grabs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're Exum, all you have to look for motivation is just look across the locker room at Joe Ingles, right? 
This is a guy that, because if you're an M, like, there's this great saying, I mean, everyone's heard it. You can just be an expert in one area and just be okay in the others. And that expertise could be enough. Look at Joe Ingles. This is a guy that's slowly, slowly gotten a better three-point shot. And you look at it now, he's around the 44% mark, which is just outstanding. And he's not, and he's just being at least a net negative on defense, if not a positive. Like he's not being bad. He's just on the baseline. Or is is in the plus in in the plus minus situation. So, if you're Dante, just that's motivation right there. So it's like you don't have to go out there and do everything. That's another thing. When I watch him, it just seems like he's trying. He's going a million miles an hour. You know, yeah. it's just like, hey, take a step back, pick your spots, play solid D, do all those little intangible things, hustle, all that good stuff to get your brownie points, and then just develop at a rate. You don't have to develop at a rapid rate. You know, like yeah. So one thing that I think so firstly I don't like um, I don't like comparing Dante with every other six foot six guard but yeah, no. I think looking I think looking at Sean Livingston and what he does for the Warriors is probably a good little message for him where you know Sean Livingston goes on he plays just good enough D and he'll go and get you eight points yeah. just from doing his stuff just around the rim and in the mid range you know what you're going to get out of him he knows what he's going to give you. Um, and he just plays his role and gets it done. And I think, you know, I'm not necessarily comparing them as players because that's one of my pet peeves, comparing every six foot six point guard yeah. to every other six foot <laughs> six point guard. But I think that's what he should look at as far as what he can bring to, you know, his team right now. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, maybe all Dante needs is a game in Australia. And, you know, and then maybe <laughs> playing in front of his hometown will help him because um, it was um, as the NBA's in London at the moment with their international games, Adam Silver had some interesting comments in regards to a possible preseason game in Australia. I'm just going to play a small snippet now of what Adam Silver had to say. It's a fantastic market. It's a market that our players enjoy traveling to. Um, obviously, it's a, it's, it's a bit of distance from the United States, but we travel to China for the preseason. So I, I think it's just a question of working out um, the appropriate business arrangement. In those markets where the best young talent are brought together at a young age, those markets are producing the most NBA players. In particular, I think of markets like Australia, markets like Serbia that have great systems. You know, re- relatively small markets compared to many of the other countries in the world that, frankly, have no NBA players right now. We're looking at that model. They do a fantastic job in Australia and in Serbia creating top-notch players. So this is a topic that, you know, people have been speaking about for years and years and years. Like, is there going to yep. be an NBA game, preseason or not, coming to Australia, whether it be exhibition, whatever. Um, oh, the more the more we hear comments like that from Adam Silver, and the more and more basketball grows here, the more and more Larry Kesselman and the NBA get a better relationship. I think we're getting closer and closer to it eventually happening. Um yep. To me, I mean, the question I ask now, it's like, okay, so it's going to happen. Who knows when? It could be next year, two years. Maybe NBL teams go there or whatever the situation is going to be. But just quickly, if you had to choose, Olgan, two teams to come down to Australia for a preseason game, which teams would you want to see? Like, I know that's such a broad question. And like, but if you could just pick two teams and keeping it within the realms of possibility, like... To me, honestly, if it's going to happen, it's going to be two West Coast teams to shorten. Yeah. It, it pretty much ch- chops off about six to four hours of the flight. Yeah. So, like, it's most likely going to be West Coast teams. So, like, you can't just say, oh, you know, I want the Cats and the Warriors because that's probably not going to happen. 
So like yeah. keeping it within the, the realms of possibility, which teams would you want to see? I mean, we'd assume would be one, at least one Aussie, you'd assume. Yes. Yeah, so oh, as far as teams I want to see, look, I, obviously I want to see the Warriors come down. I, yeah. You know, obviously they're, they're on the West Coast, like basically, and then, so it's not it's not too hard for them, but the NBA is not going to send the Warriors to Australia. Yeah. Um, I like the Lakers coming down here as yeah. far as, you know, they're a team that the, the NBA might as well send down here. It's not like they're a championship team or anything. And they're the biggest market. They're, it, probably they're one the Lakers. of the biggest teams on it. Yeah. And so, you know, it'd be just a, a fun, almost gimmick um, mm-hmm. to send them here. Another team, I you might as well send Utah. Yeah, I guess. Because they're relatively... They're close I'm, enough, right? I'm trying to think geographically. They're relatively close. <laughs> it's a short flight to either LA or to Dallas, and then the flight down here. Yeah. Um, I don't mind that team. You know, they're, they're a young team. They've got a bunch of international guys. Obviously, they've got Dante and Joe Ingles. So you, you might as well send those two teams. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, you need to have at least one team that's going to bring in the casual fan. Like, the Lakers will. Like, even yeah. though, like, they're not great, but they're just, if you're just a casual NBA fan and you, you, ch- you know, you're on Facebook, Twitter, and you say, oh, breaking Lakers to play preseason game in Sydney, Melbourne, and, and Brisbane, whatever, right? You're like, yeah. whoa, like, I'm going to go to that. Like, yeah, like, I don't really, if someone might not really follow it, but it's like, hey, I want to see the Lakers play, right? So I think that's yeah. really important. You've got to have at least one team that's going to bring in, I mean, it's going to sell out anyway, but just to increase the excitement levels, you know? Like, if if you're a casual fan, right, and you're flicking through, it's like, oh, you know, the NBA's bringing down the Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings to play a game. <laughs> like, to us, we're like, oh, awesome. We get to see, like, like play. We get to see NBA teams, right? But if you're a casual fan, you're like, oh, like, whatever. Like, who cares? So I think, I think that, that's important. You've got to have at least one team that's going to sell the tickets, right? As in, like, yeah, you know, the tickets to- are going to sell, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like people who aren't necessarily fans of the NBA but enjoy kind of the culture and idea of the NBA. Yeah. You know, they've got these Kobe Laker jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got these the Shaq Laker jersey, that kind of thing. It's it's one of those teams that can really kind of insert itself into kind of any country, and they're super recognizable. You might as well send someone like that down because you know if you send like the Kings down, you know I'd love to see Boogie play probably more yeah. than most people on the Lakers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's not that's not going to get the the two the two guys who have, you know, Kobe jerseys who go to the beach every day who <laughs> just want to see something. Yeah. Like you got to you got to send a, a big market team and I think the Lakers from like a pragmatic standpoint, you know, that for like geographically it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And how about just quickly this whole NBL NBA possible preseason game type of thing. I know you touched on it briefly on your overtime podcast this week. But like, is that something you'd want to see? Well, look, I, I would, I would want to see it just because it's every time the NBL can can grow, it's yeah. quite cool. Um, but again, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense from a competitive standpoint. Um, yeah. It's almost as a Larry Kesselman, and you know, I love Larry; he's a great guy. But he doesn't necessarily know about the NBA and and basketball. Um, you know, he's a businessman first. Yeah. Um, and so I feel as though he's just trying to get the word NBA somehow and, and somehow make it synonymous with the NBL, which I don't think is necessarily the way to go. You know, every time a team tries to bring any random former NBA player, and it doesn't really doesn't always go well um, yeah. in the NBL. And so I I think it will happen because Larry is 
a very good businessman and he he gets things done. Um, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's soon. That's yeah. that's the big thing. You know, we hear this every every tw- twice a year. I think we we hear NBA talks about a game in Australia, and it's it's so far away that it's it's almost redundant to talk about. But look, I, I like the idea of an NBA team versus an NBL team. Um, I just don't know how logistically how it'll work. And you know if it'll benefit anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're having that, if if you're the NBL and you're having that game, you have to have it in Australia. Like, I don't know yeah. how much um, how much energy will be generated from a Melbourne United versus Sacramento Kings game, like in Sacramento at like 10 a.m. Eastern standing, like Eastern Australian time. Like, I don't know how much compared yeah. to that game at Hisense Arena on a Saturday night. Well, then, you know what? Well, yeah, maybe people will come to that. You have seen it like Melbourne and, you know, the teams they played that LSU exhibition game when Ben Simmons was here and people showed yeah. up because they wanted to see Ben Simmons. Like, it was a horrible game and, like, neither yeah. team was really trying. But you know what? You saw Ben Simmons play. So yeah. it's going to be that. That's the, that's the appeal there. I don't mind the idea of them possibly putting a team into the D League, like yeah. the NBL All Stars. But again, like I just don't know. I mean, there's probably a lot more benefits that we don't see outside. There's probably be a lot more internal benefits in terms of building relationships with important people over there, yeah. and you know, scouts get to see our best players and vice versa. But if you want to pit pit one of our teams against one of their NBA teams. Like I mean, like you said, I don't know how much of the immediate benefits will be there. Just be, and you're right because it's not going to be competitive. Like let's be honest, it's going to be like no. it's going to be a boring game to watch. Like it's going to be bad. Yeah, for me, I don't think there's anything in it for the NBA. No, absolutely just, not. Just no. because you, you competitively, you don't get anything that your your players really aren't going to get anything out of the game. Um, it's really kind of just almost an advertisement for the NBL, and you know if if you. If these guys see an NBL team playing in the preseason and, you know, they get cut from their roster and they can't find an NBA team, they think, oh, our guys played Melbourne United. I, I might as well sign with them. They have some sort of relationship with the NBA. It's beneficial completely for the NBL. But from, from the NBA standpoint, I, I don't think it's beneficial at all. And, you know, I don't think they're in any real hurry to um, market themselves in this country. They've yeah. They've almost had the free marketing of, of just the of just having of just the being internet, the NBA, <laughs> just having the internet yeah. be a thing. Yeah, you know they they they're focused on going through Asia and going to India and the Middle East and places like that because they're not because they know that you know the potential is there to create a fan base and yeah. not necessarily as visible. Whereas here, we're we're already the the second biggest league pass subscriber. We don't have to. They don't need us. Well, they, yeah. they don't need to kind of appeal to us. We already love them. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. But, like, then again, we have seen signs of basketball without borders camp last year. Like, we've seen signs, yeah. but again, I mean, it probably is a bit off, but again, the more and more we hear about these little snippets, it's like, hey, maybe it's getting closer to it eventually happen. But you're right, it's not like from the NBA side, there's, there's, no, there's no need to, to rush. There's no urgency. Yeah, and, and if, I, if I can add, with the yeah, yeah. basketball without borders thing and the um you know the NBA academy that they're setting up yep, in yep. AIS system in Canberra. Yep. I feel like from you know from the outside looking in and from people I've spoken to, it almost sounds as though that's the reason it's in Australia is purely logistical. You know, because obviously they want to reach out to, like I said, Asia um, and those kind of places, and so it's easy for 
for Asian players and for players from that region to come to Australia and to be based in um, you know a facility that's in Australia as opposed to the US. So yeah. from the sounds of it, it sounds as though they're saying, "Oh, Australia, you've got resources. You're geographically um, convenient. Let's just let's just put this there, and you know the the markets that we really want to reach out to will flock." Yeah, and that's interesting as well because correct me if I'm wrong, but when that basketball without borders camp was down in here in Australia, was there a little bit of like resentment from some of the Aussie NBA guys? Like I can't remember who said it. It might have been Joe Ingles or Andrew Bogut. Were they kind of just like, "Yeah, it's good, but like, like we don't really care." Like, I, I, yeah. I, like they weren't their words, but it, wasn't they that type of feeling? If I can remember correctly, I, I, yeah, I don't know who said it, but it, it was basically like. You know, okay, you're giving us this. Does this does this mean that you've saved yourself from giving us a game? Yeah, that, it was something. Kind of it was something like that. Like yeah. here is a branch, but we're not going to give you an entire tree. Like we just take, just take this. You're welcome, and that's it. And so we don't have to do anything for you anymore. That yeah. was kind of the impression that I forget who said it, but whoever he was, that that's the impression that he got. And look, that that made sense. And this it really was just a token, you know, yeah. especially because at that camp. The best Australian players weren't even there. Exactly, Fever under seventeen, the, the world championships. championships. I was, yep. I was there as well. I had, I had no business being at, at this basketball, basketball yep. borders camp because every, for example, every college coach was in Spain with me. Yeah, Fever under seventeen. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And spe- speaking of that type of topic, um, obviously for people who don't know, you're obviously an Australian draft expert of analysis or whatever mantle you want to put on it. And I've seen you've been very high on Twitter for a guy who actually dropped out of the college system this year to go overseas to explore his professional options, and that's Jonah Bolden. And this guy looks good. This is a guy that's not going to generate, like, household name, no, not yet, within Australian basketball circles, but he's looking good. And I know you're a big fan of him, and we always say, like, oh, who's going to be the next Aussie in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. This is a guy that's got a serious chance of doing that. Yeah, he's, you know, I... I've seen him for quite a bit because he's from Sydney. I'm from Sydney, so yep. I saw him. We're, we're around the same age as well. But you know, I've, I've seen him almost rise up, kind of the, the junior ranks from under 16s upwards. And you know, you've always seen it. He's six foot ten. He's super long. He's athletic. He can shoot. He's a good passer. So he's kind of got all the skills. But he just hadn't really put it together. And you know, he he was almost him and Ben Simmons were the first two Australians to really kind of test that the waters of going to high school in the United States. So he went to Finley Prep uh, in, in Nevada, and then he went to uh, Brewster Academy. And yeah. so he kind of did that. Then he went to UCLA, and he, he didn't think he was really being used to the best of his ability. He didn't get to show up the skills that he wanted. And so he just decided, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to sign and sign with an agent. The agent said, we're going to send you to Serbia for a year. He's with FMP right now. And he's playing really, really well to the point where he's starting to appear on, on draft boards now. And I feel like his stock is only getting better to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if he's a first-round pick. Not because he has that talent right now, but because he's 6'10 and his ceiling is so high. Yeah, and he's one of those guys, when I watch him play, it's almost like this is a guy that... I mean, we spoke about it with Dante before, where Dante doesn't really 
have anything going for him yet. But I look at Jonah. He's a guy that when he grabs the ball off rebounds, you mentioned there he's got the height and the length, but he can dribble up and down the court and he can attack in transition and he can finish at the basket. Like it's that 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 multifaceted um, athleticism when you've got the ball in yeah. hand that you see so many players have. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo is probably like the top guy of doing something like that with his incredible length and height and the rest of it. But Bolden's one of those guys where he can do that as well. He's got an ability to... to to grab a defensive rebound, dribble up the court, weave through smaller players, and then finish amongst the trees at the basket. That's a really, really important skill set to have in in the modern oh, game. Oh, for sure. And, you know, NBA guys are seeing that now and more and more are reaching out to me asking, you know, how good is this guy? Because they, they know who he was. He was at UCLA and yeah. people were expecting him to be a part of, you know, this UCLA team. You know, they're a top five, probably a top five team in the nation, UCLA right now. Um, but... From the looks of it, going to Europe, playing in Serbia, even though it's part of, it's not it's not the, the top tier in Serbia. I think it's it's the Adriatic League. I, I think it's one of the the second tiers. But you know, going there has really done wonders for him, and I wouldn't be surprised if other people follow suit. Yeah, absolutely. And he said, guys, well, like he's an okay shooter, right? Like he's not a horrible shooter, so he's got that part of his game as well. You know, it's just someone that. You need to keep an eye on, right? Like, if you're looking for that next Aussie in the NBA guy, that's someone to keep an eye on. Now, before we wrap up, because we are running out of time, just some real quick hitters. Cleveland yeah. or Golden State? Uh, oh, Golden <laughs> State. I know. You were going Golden State? State? Even Golden with State. even with the Corva trade? Even with the Corva trade, yeah. Golden State. I think I tend to agree. I think the Corva trade definitely makes Cleveland better. Does it push them over yeah. the top? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, Corva's going to take a little while to... um. To, to get accustomed to that system. Um, we've seen it already. Like It wasn't as simple as just putting him on the court and putting him in the corner and him hitting five three-pointers a game. It's never that yeah. easy because it's literally... Yeah. He said it after his first game. He said he literally had no idea what he was doing because like it's his first game in a new team after playing in Atlanta for so long. So I think right now in a seven-game series, I think Golden State's probably still got the edge. Defensively, they definitely do. But then again, we saw what happened on Christmas. You know, like we just saw yeah. for some reason... It's almost getting to that point where Cleveland are almost like this bogey team for Golden State, where like that that Golden State mentality where we see when they've got a team down where they just like keep them down and they just punch on them. When they have yeah. Cleveland down, I don't know. It just seems like they can't get that knockout blow to go. They can't no, just... It's really weird. Yeah, and I think... So Golden State and Cleveland, in my mind, they're, they're the only two teams in the league that have that button that they can press and just turn things around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't get that often. I think LeBron's teams in Miami had that. I think Kobe and Powell, that that kind of Laker team had that. Um and you know, a lot of a bunch of the Spurs teams, you know, over the, the past decade have had it. I think those are the only teams now. But for me I think you know, the Warriors were up what, like fourteen or fifteen in the fourth quarter yeah. of that, that Cavs game. Yeah. Um but you know, they've been kinda of down in every game they've been in, in over the past few games. And then yeah. just in the third quarter, they've clicked. And they've they basically won these quarters by twenty points mm-hmm. just by doing what we fully expect them to do. Yeah. And so I just think their potential is, is so high that, you know, once they keep getting more games in, once they get more accustomed with each other, I think they're gonna get to that point where they're gonna get that lead over Cleveland and they're gonna keep it. Yeah. No, it could happen, but then again, like it does show these teams are literally so tight. And it's 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 great for the league. I'm sorry, like I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, it's so bad, you know, because they've watered down the talent of the league. There's only two teams that can win the title. Man, like, this is great for the league. You know, it's going to be a trilogy. 
They're going to make so much money off this rivalry. There's really no reason why it won't happen again next year and the year after year after, depending on um, the way for agency and that works out. But it's great for the league. Moving on, sure. MVP. At the, like, we're, we're pretty much at, at the midway point. So, like, at the yeah. midway point, MVP. Oh, it's, it's tough. I, I know. It's tough. <laughs> I think I want to say James Harden. Yeah, I think I tend to agree. He's winning because yeah. he's, he's doing basically not the same as Russ, but he's he's putting up similar numbers to Russ. Yeah, but his team is is playing so well right now, um, and even with Clint Capella going out, Clint Capella was super important to that team. Yeah, he was his pick and roll out. partner. Exactly, and so the fact that you know they can throw in an A and, and Montrez Harrell and they're doing the same stuff that just shows me how good James Harden is. Yeah, and it's just like it. I mean, I said it when they hired D'Antoni. I just loved it because they just get the best out of each other. Like, D'Antoni's system gets the best out of James Harden. And I just, yeah. I, 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 to me, Harden's the MVP right now. I had him high on my MVP board start in the season because I yeah. thought, like, he last season was an interesting one for Harden because it's almost like his deficiencies on the defensive end and his attitude, they almost got to a comical point where it just overshadowed how good this guy actually is. And yep. this season, we're seeing, hey, this guy is unbelievable. Like, we're seeing that again. Um, the, the Westbrook one's so weird. Like, obviously, we know you have to historically have, like, a top two free seed to win an MVP. But, yep. like, if you're OKC and Westbrook does average that triple-double, but they finish, like, sixth or seventh in the West, do you just dis- discard history and say, hold on, this guy averaged a triple-double? Like, we can't not give him the MVP. Like, it's only, it hasn't happened since, like, Oscar Robinson, like, 100 years ago or whatever it's been. You know what I'm saying? Six, yeah. 1960, so whatever it was. Yeah. So that's a weird one because the just, thing is, oh, you, you, you know, from when you think about it, you feel like he's average, average triple double. You should give it to him, except James Harden has played yeah. well enough to steal it away from him. Exactly. Exactly. Like, how weird would that be? If you said it at the start of the season, we're going to have someone that averages a triple-double but doesn't win the MVP, you'd be like, what? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, there's no way that's happening. But hey, it's a very, very real possibility. It's hey, absolutely ridiculous. No, and I have a I mean, quick question for you. Yeah, yeah. Are your, top, are your top three MVPs, are they in whatever order? Is it James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant? Uh, yeah, probably. I think Durant's been sensational. I mean, his efficiency is through the roof at the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, consider, I mean, LeBron's always in that mix. Yeah. Um, who else? I mean, S- S- Steph's getting better. Like, getting better. I know that sounds so stupid to say, <laughs> but by his, you know what I'm saying, by MVP standards for this season anyway, um, he's not going to win it. I-, I-, I love Giannis. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, he's not winning the MVP, but I just put him in there anyway because he's literally <laughs> like, he's amazing. Uh Literally, in five years, he's going to be the best player in the league. I say it all the time. But in five if I'm building a team right now, he's the guy that I take. Well, yeah, I well, take- Giannis, is a, yeah, Giannis is a guy where, you know, the people who say that, oh, the, the league's watered down and we only have two super teams, you know, those people, we can just tell them just to, to go away because the story <laughs> of the season has been Giannis. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's exactly the right. the Warriors and the Cavs. It's yep. been Giannis and Joel Embiid and, and mm-hmm. these unicorns. It hasn't been the super teams. Yeah. Because so we spoke about Porzingis before. That's that's another guy that, like, these guys, it's, it's, you're seeing the next wave before they're actually here, before the, like, before the expected date. We're already seeing it. So, like, Giannis is just, when he gets that jump shot, which he will because he's too good not to, oh, yeah. my God, I don't know how you defend that guy. Like, he's just, oh, He's amazing. I love him. To me, he's that guy. I'll take him over Towns and Embiid and Pulzingis. Like, if I'm picking a team right yeah. now, I get one pick, that's the guy I'm taking. I'm not sure about you. 
if you take him over any of those guys, but I do because he's just. I think I think I think I might look. Honestly, I'm watching him right now. And yeah. then in, in this, like literally, I'm watching him in the first <laughs> quarter. He did this just ridiculous double clutch dunk in transition. <laughs> he jumped from behind the dotted line. Yeah, so what he's doing right now is silly, and I've just he's 22. Exactly. It's not, not okay. And, and and the thing is, he's 22, but it's his fourth season in the league. So, like, we're seeing, a, like, you see a lot of 22-year-olds get drafted when they're 22 or 21. But this yeah. is a guy that's 22, which is super young, but he has four years of NBA experience already under his belt. Like, the, the, that's a really, really interesting way of looking at it because, yes, he's super, super young. But, like, by NBA standards, like, next year's going to be his fifth season. So, like, that's not he's like... a veteran. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. If you look at like the expected date of just normal NBA players, so that that, that adds to his scariness, I guess. And his team's getting better. Yeah, Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker looks awesome. And Brogdon is is yeah starter in the NBA. He's he's a starter. In, yeah, I'm completely fine with Jason Kidd benching Delhi for, for Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because because Delhi's really not a starter anyway. So like, <laughs> so yeah, but. Hey, maybe that's the team that will knock the Cavs off. Maybe Minnesota. I know they haven't been good this season. They've got the talent. Yep. Maybe they're the next team. Anyway, I'll get, that's a whole discussion for another day. <laughs> I want to really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We could go for so much longer, but have to wrap it up there, unfortunately. Just before we go, where can everyone find all your stuff? Um, you can find all of my work at foxsports.com.au. Uh, you can find my podcast, Overtime. You find that on iTunes, so go and subscribe to that. We have guests every week. We had Joe Ingles on yesterday. Um, and you can get me on Twitter at Olgun Ulrich. That's at O-L-G-U-N-U-L-U-C. Lovely. He, love all your work, Olgun. Appreciate you coming on the podcast, and we look forward to following all your stuff in the future. Thanks so much. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America. Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au.